Chocolate Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. The lady, Hevina Orwig Evans, she wrote a sign saying there is a boy in Bangor Cathedral whose voice should be recorded. And the letter came through the post and mum and dad and I were like, what? Okay, why not? And that was it. Yeah, that, that album was on sale in Cardiff in St David's Hall, uh, where a London producer was down watching a concert. And that was it, the start of everything. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowl. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, as well as all of the latest news, reviews, columnists and more. Plus, there's great new digital content uploaded daily to our website, premierchristianity.com. To get full access wherever you are in the world, there are print and digital subscription options available. Get the magazine delivered directly to your door or access all of the latest content via your computer, smartphone or the Premier Christianity app. Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for more information. Now, today on the show, I'm super excited to be chatting to the one and only Alid Jones. You may know him as the UK's most famous chorister, who sang Walking on the Air from Raymond Briggs' classic Christmas film, The Snowman. But did you know that by the time 15-year-old Alid recorded that Christmas classic in 1985, he had already had several albums to his name, including one that was only kept off the number one spot by Bruce Springsteen's record-breaking Born in the USA. In the years since Jones has continued to sing and tour around the world, he's also one of the BBC Songs of Praise's most well-known and best-loved presenters, and he's written several books. This Christmas, his debut children's novel is released. He says it's a product of cancelled gigs and too much lockdown time on his hands. Bobby Dean Saves Christmas is the first of three books that Jones has written about a boy that escapes the pressures of everyday life at school by, you guessed it, singing. On this week's show, I chat to Alid about all of the above, as well as what it was like to find a connection with God during lockdown, the beauty of cathedrals and the emotion of singing, and what it was like to grow up as the nation's favourite choir boy. Let's listen in to the interview now. It is my great privilege today to be joined by Alid Jones, who most of you will know. Alid, thank you so much for being here with us on the Profile podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to talk about lots of things, hopefully, this morning, um, your faith, your life, your ministry. But first of all, we, we better start off with um, a, a lovely little Christmas surprise package that I got through the post today, your new Christmas book, Bobby yeah. Dave's Christmas. So we were talking about it a little bit before, but would you tell us what inspired you to write a Christmas book? Um, it probably was um, lockdown in a way. I'm sure you've heard that millions of times recently. Um, I'd written a, a book of blessings, um, which went down really well last year. 
um, a blessing for every day. And also I sort of bookended every month with my thoughts on that month, you know, how I felt about January starting the year again in the cold. Um, and um, as I say, yeah, the blessings book that came out on Hodder um, went really well. But I said to the boss there, you know, I've got this idea that's been around for years and I really want to do something about it. It's about this little boy. And He's kind of ordinary, but um, when he gets scared or nervous about something, he just involuntarily bursts into song and the world around, the real world around him dissolves and he goes off on these bonkers adventures. And, um, you know, my boss at Harder turned around and said, um, you nuts. Um, but I pestered and pestered him and he put me in touch with the editor of the book who from the beginning said, yep, I can kind of teach you how to write dialogue for children, but I'm not going to write a single word of this book. You're going to do it all yourself. And it was a case of almost like going back to school. You know, I'd send my work in to the editor, Dave Gatwood, and he would send me an email back saying, this is rubbish. It's why have you written 20,000 words when actually all you needed was five or something like that. And, you know, and so I had to really learn how to, I could write, don't get me wrong. I can write sort of, you know, for adults, but writing a book that's, I would say 90% um, dialogue was something I'd never done before. And also writing for children, you, you don't use 100 words when you can use 20. You know, it has to pack a punch. And um, I, I'd already written the plan for the book anyway. And I've also written a very detailed plan for book two and book three because it takes Bobby on a year of school. So the first book is Christmas term. The second book will be Easter term. And the third book will be summer term. So, um, you know, the, and I've already written half the, the second book already. And I'm having great fun with it. You know, um, he's a character I love dearly. And it's a book that is about friendship. It's about differences. It's about, um, it is about sort of, you know, um, being scared and overcoming that and strength. And, and so it's a book full of sort of morals as well and a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's got quite a few uh, crazy characters, even, even Father Christmas himself. <laughs> and so that's interesting. So as a Christian, you've written two of these three books around big Christian festivals. Is there an element of your faith that you're trying to communicate through these stories? Yeah, it, there must be because it, it's who I am. You know, in the book, um, in this first book now, um, you know, Bobby's, Bobby and his classmates are preparing for nativity. And it just takes me back to being in primary school in Sandegvan in North Wales, you know, and I've said it before, you know, sitting cross-legged on a very uncomfortable wooden floor, but with the smells of lunch coming through the shutters of the, the canteen and, and belting out these carols, you know, um, be it Silent Night Away in a Manger, Heart the Herald, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, and, and just feeling on top of the world. You know, um, I've always loved Christmas way before walking in the air and all that business. It's always for me been a time of real connection, if you like. Um, and as a cathedral chorister in Bangor, you know, being able to sing these incredible pieces of music in a space like that. Um, that's where I always found the connection with, with God, really. Um, I find it very difficult to find a connection if there's no music. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this Christmas book is full of music. You know, it's, it's what it's all about. It's, that's at, at its heart. So the last 18 months then of, of not being able to sing in church must have been incredibly hard for you on a personal level and a professional level as a performer. Yeah, it was, I, I equate it, what happened, um, it was like a scene from Harry Potter because I have my diary in my phone on iCal and I just saw all my live dates just disappear in front of my eyes. Um, that's probably what prompted me to want to write a book. Um, 
And yeah, it was, it's been very hard. You know, with Songs of Praise, there was about two, three months where we weren't filming at all. And then we went back to it. But of course, not with a live congregation. And you realise just how important that is, especially to some uh, cathedral. And recently we celebrated our 60th birthday. I haven't been presenting it for 60 years. Um, just 21. Um, and we celebrated in Westminster Abbey with a congregation. And I almost cried. It was just, it's something that I've done all my life since the age of nine. It's like breathing for me, singing in the cathedral. You know, I go on cathedral tours and, and not being able to do it was just so weird. It's, it's been adequated to the same as, you know, I fly all the time. I'm always in Heathrow flying somewhere and not being able to do that. It was just kind of, it was somebody just taking away something that you do all the time. And to be honest with you, you know, um, I think a lot of the smaller churches have had it very tough. You know, I'm great friends with Ken and Anne Easter. We did a podcast over um, lockdown as well called uh, Oh My Goodness, highlighting the good news that was coming out of the pandemic. And, and she was always saying, you know, that, yeah, no one's singing. There's no music in church. We play, we play tapes and stuff like that. And then it got to the stage where oh, people are singing, but they've got their masks on. And you just think, what a world we live in. I know it's been incredibly hard and it's been interesting talking to lots of different musicians and artists about how it's affected uh, you know it's it's that strange space where it affects your your personal faith and your own practice of that and your career and yeah. what you do it in your ministries it's, it's well to be honest with you I, I, I've only done one concert this year you know and that's although I've sung um, for songs of praise and stuff and that's been I suppose a godsend in a way because even though I haven't been doing it publicly, I have been doing it still on television. So, um, you know, at least I'm kind of still singing. Um, and we've got the Young Chorister of the Year competition coming up next week, and I'm singing with the winner. So I'm really looking forward to that, you know, getting slowly but surely getting back to, to normal. And I've got a cathedral tour February and March next year, 26 cathedrals around Great Britain. And uh, it's been postponed twice or three times, I can't remember. And uh, you know, I cannot wait to get back doing what I do, really, you know. And so you said that you've been you've been singing in churches since you were nine. Is that how you first found a faith? Or did, did no, no, I, well, I, 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 I go to, I, I've been going to Sunday school since I was much younger, you know, in, again, Llandegvan Parish Church. And I went back there recently um, for my 50th um, and... Um, there was a documentary being made and they took me back to Llandegvan Parish Church and nothing had changed at all since I was the four-year-old walking in there. Um, the organ was exactly the same place. And I remember the shopkeeper who'd play the organ, playing it as if it was, you know, the organ at York Minster or something like that. It was a tiny church that holds about 30 people. And the smell of the place was exactly the same. And the memories just came flooding back. So we remember as, you know, going to Sunday school, and hearing, I suppose, the stories of the Bible but told in a kid's book way, if you like. And then once a month, we were allowed to go to church. And, you know, it was, we'd walk in as these little kids and everyone was in their finery, you know, even a few hats in Chandegman Primary, in Chandegman Parish Church. And, and I just remember the, the stillness and the fact that there was this kind of magic um, floating around in there. And that's never really left me, you know, um, I may not have not acknowledged it when I first went to college and stuff like that, when I was probably more interested in playing football and the bar and stuff like that. But um, when I now kind of walk into churches or cathedrals, there's always, there's a feeling, there's a connection.
I think many of us have stories that are similar to that. Yeah, so, and also it was it was always a safe place for me, you know, yeah. uh, Bangor Cathedral. And I think now back, because we're talking about Christmas, but think back to sort of, you know, Midnight Mass, which was always my favourite service as a chorister, because it would mean that I was up later than I had ever been in my existence before, you know, um, and watching sort of, everyone was really jolly and I always thought it was because they were singing jolly hymns but I think it was probably to do with the fact that quite a lot of them have been to the pub beforehand <laughs> even the clergyman uh, but you know it was it was always a, a, a feeling of fellowship and belonging to something a community if you like that was um, just greater than ourselves. Mm. And was there a point in your adult life where you decided to take faith more seriously then after university? Um, yeah I suppose so well I just kind of dripped back into it um you know i left college bristol all big night i was very lucky to um get the role of joseph um in joseph and the amazing technical dream put on tour who's the largest musical in the world on tour at the time and i'd come off stage having had you know standing ovations and and, and i didn't really enjoy the singing it was more of a technical thing i don't know why you know as a kid whenever i sang something i instinctively put my heart and soul into it and that wasn't there at all and then i was asked to sing um on Songs of Praise. Um, and it was really weird. It was a slowed down version of Stevie Wonder's song for once in my life. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I recorded it with Mal Pope, the musician. And then uh, they asked me to present a program from Bangor, which was the cathedral I'd been in, uh, always saying, it's only one program, Alex. You're never gonna do more than one program. Um, I sneakily, instead of saying goodbye at the end, I said, until next time, goodbye. See what I did there. And, um, and I sang on that program as well. And, and slowly but surely, coming back to the music I did as a kid, made everything kind of fall into place somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and some people might say that I've not progressed at all in the however many years I've been singing, because I've been singing the same stuff since I was 12 years old professionally, and I'm 50 now, so 38 years. But that's where my heart belongs. You know, that's what I love. I love singing hymns. I love singing sacred music. Well, it's interesting. If you read the Alla Jones entry on Wikipedia, it says uh -oh. that um, religious stroke inspirational themes have been present throughout your career. Okay. So would, would you say that's because your faith informs the, the career decisions you make? Do, do, do you put any prayer into what projects you do and don't take on? Or is it just, you know, following your heart, like you said? I, it follows, I, follow, I follow my heart. I don't ever sort of pray for a successful project or anything like that, for instance, because I don't think I need to be using my prayer in that way. Uh, there are things I could be praying for. And, and at the end of the day, I'm very lucky. It's my job as well. So, um, you know, I, I do pride myself on being a professional. So, um, you know, for either TV shows or, or music, I always turn up prepared and having done my work and my homework. And um, so I don't ever pray for, I don't think I do anyway. Maybe I pray before a tour actually. Um, first night of a tour, maybe I do for a successful tour. Um, but yeah, I pray for, for other things, you know, usually for family and for friends and um, yeah, those sort of things. Um, but I, I think that I've just always done what I've done. You know, it is part of who I am. Um, I, I believe in God uh, and, and, and I've always been a Christian. You know, I've always not been scared to say that I'm a Christian. You know, um, it enhances who I am.
I wouldn't say I'm a, a, a perfect Christian, uh, not by far, but I don't know what one of those is, really. I think some, someone once said to me, even the saints were sinners who've been edited. I think, I think there's only Jesus that we can hold up in, in that light. So Yeah, so. and maybe even he wasn't <laughs> either, you know. it's uh, yeah. We all fall short, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think I'm, it's, it's funny, as I get older, um, I think maybe I lean on my faith more. Um, when you're sort of young, uh, happy-go-lucky, then I, I think it was still there, don't get me wrong, but I don't think I acknowledged it maybe as much as I do now. And I remember being asked to present Songs of Praise when I was 18, and I turned it down because I wasn't ready to be doing a programme like that. Um, I didn't have enough life skills, I suppose. And, you know, I'd, I'd, and I've always acknowledged that it's a programme that has to be done properly. It's not something you can just turn up and wing you know because you're you're talking to people who've had incredible experiences some of them very difficult some of them incredible joyous um but equally you know you have my i feel that my job is to just hold their hand and 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 be their friend really well that's really interesting you said about like your faith helping you through the the ups and downs of life because i mean we all go through those don't we yeah of course as you say everyone goes up through goes through ups and downs but it's um as long as you come out the other end, I suppose. <laughs> Definitely. It, it, only recently, a friend of ours um, passed away as well, and I, I found that very difficult to get my head around, really. And, um, you know, you, you do ask yourself questions at those times, you know, where is God in all this? Where, you know, and I ask those questions all the time on Songs of Praise. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, there's no real answer, I don't think. It's interesting because most people would associate you now with songs of praise in the past with being the boy that sang the snowman song. And I didn't realise actually until I was prepping for this interview that actually by the time you recorded that song, you'd already released something like six albums. Yeah, even even more than that, I think. Yeah, it was. It's funny. Well, the walking in the I think will be what everyone remembers, which is great, you know, because it's how lucky to be part of everyone's Christmas, my favourite time of year. Um, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd been um, singing professionally since I was 12, and walking there was when I was 15. Wow. So um, I suppose the, 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 the biggest sort of albums I'd done before then were the ones from Israel when, uh, you know, I went out with the BBC Welsh Chorus to do three programmes for the BBC, never thinking that, you know, they would be watched by millions and millions of people. And I remember the producer ringing my dad the night beforehand and saying, um, we're going to press 4,000 copies of an album called Voices from the Holy Land. We don't expect anyone to buy it, but it'd be a nice little memento if people uh, liked the show. And the same producer ringing my dad up um, at a later date saying it sold, you know, 250,000 copies. It's number two in the charts behind Bruce Springsteen and Born in the USA. So that was the start of everything really going, you know, for four mad years, just um, nonstop, really. Did you ever find it hard? dealing with that much fame at that no young... not really because no one else had done it before so you know um i had no sort of blueprint or anything and and when you're a kid with a bowl haircut um, people are really lovely to you all the time you know and so it was exciting for me you know monday to friday i was in david hughes comprehensive being a normal kid and then friday saturday and sunday i'd be jetting here there and everywhere or going down to london and seeing my heroes if you like um so no it was exciting it was brilliant and I also read a really beautiful anecdote that the, the reason a record company got in touch with you in the first place was because a member of your congregation heard you sing yeah. and wrote to someone. 
That's yeah, wrote wrote to a local recording company without yeah. us knowing. That's um, an amazing so they, story. Yeah, so the plan was that um, um, Sign Records, who were based in North Wales, would release an album of um, music from two boy sopranos, one from South Wales, from Llandaff Cathedral, and one from Bangor Cathedral in the north, and we'd share the album. Well, that boy's voice broke a week before the recording, so they asked me to do the whole album. I did. Um, and yeah, the lady, Hevina Orwig Evans, she was very often the only person in the congregation in Bangor Cathedral, um, on a Tuesday or a Thursday evening. And she, yeah, she loved my voice because I'd do all the solos. And she wrote to sign saying, there is a boy in Bangor Cathedral whose voice should be recorded. And um, letter came through the post and mum and dad and I were like, what? Okay, why not? And, um, and that was it. Yeah, and that, that album was on sale in Cardiff in St. David's Hall, uh, where a London producer was down watching a concert and needed a boy soprano to perform in Israel with, you know, to do these programmes and ask me, and that was it, the start of everything. That's such a beautiful story. Do you, did you stay in touch with her after? Yeah, she'd get a first copy of every album and we'd sit down and listen to it together. And I don't think she ever said anything except, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> so yeah, there was never, never a negative word from Hevina. She was gorgeous. But it's, it's such a practical example, isn't it, of, of sort of someone in the older generation really championing yeah. a young person. Has that affected you at all in your approach to coming alongside young singers, mentors? Yeah, uh, well, I've, I've always done that, and I'll always help um, uh, anyone who asks me, really. Um, yeah, there are quite a few um, projects I'm working on for people who maybe just need a helping hand, you know, and I'm not the... It's not a guarantee that just because you've got me working with you that it'll work, but, um, you know, it's, it's quite a... A difficult industry now it's not the same as when it was when I was a kid mm. where you'd go to Woolies or WH Smith and buy your album um you know physical sales are on you know people aren't going out and buying physical sales as much so it's all about the streaming and stuff like that now and uh, I would say that sort of 90% of my sales probably are still physical um which I kind of like because for me making an album is very much like a book, if you like. You know, I, I work on everything from the sleeve design to the notes inside to everything. Um, so when it comes out, you really do feel like you're, it's your, it's your little baby, if you like. You know, it's, uh, it's precious. Yeah, and it's not the same. And I miss, I miss the days of being able to read the lyrics inside CD covers. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. And, well, and LPs before for me. I remember my first Queen LP and, you know, I think it was Nights at the Opera or something like the second one I did, actually, the first one was Greatest Hits. And just, there was so much detail and photos everywhere and stuff. Amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, my, my first album I ever bought was Shaking Stevens. So wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Do you feel inner conflict between truth and lies, the way of Christianity and the way of the world? If so, it's time to live no lies. With huge spiritual insight, New York Times bestseller John Mark Comer guides us into recognizing and resisting the lies that rob us of peace and freedom. Live No Lies, yours free when you take out an annual subscription to Premier Christianity magazine. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. So that's interesting. So, so obviously choir music is not the only type of music that gets listened to in, in the Jones household then, is that oh, fair? Oh gosh, no. Uh, well, no, if my daughter's here, then it's just all the current kind of singer-songwriter people. Um, you know, um, a lot of Irish bands around now that she seems to love. Um, but yeah, no, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and it's really strange because when I was growing up, and I mentioned sort of going to 
WH Smith to buy my albums with my, you know, wage from Bangor Cathedral or something like that. And and there were very much sections. So, you know, you wouldn't be seen dead, for instance, if you were my mates in the classical section. Um, and I would buy everything from Queen to Billy Joel to Rachmaninoff to John Williams to whatever. And, and I was seen, if you, you know, if you bought classical stuff, you seem a bit weird. Whereas now my kids will have anything on their MP3s. It's just about good music. So everything from rap to musical theatre to, you know, classical to, as I say, current singer-songwriters. So, and I think that's brilliant. Um, I think that's how it should be. So, yeah, no, I listen to, it depends who's in the car with me. My, my son and my daughter have very different tastes in music. It's the same in my household. Yeah, no, my son's <laughs> very much more indie. Your, your music yeah. gets hijacked by your kids. Oh, it's like... forget it. Yeah. <laughs> No, you never get my choice. I'm not sure what it would be in the car anyway. I usually just listen to the radio. So uh, what, was there a point when you were growing up when you were obviously being a, a choir boy in the cathedral a lot, listening to lots of classical music where you did feel like that was, were you ever embarrassed of it or was it always something you were incredibly proud no, of? No, I've never been embarrassed about it. Um, and, you know, I was teased mercilessly at school, um, A, for wearing a dress and, you know, and all this sort of business. But to be honest with you, I didn't really care because I loved what I did. Mm. And I felt so privileged to be able to sing in a building like Bangor Cathedral. Again, I'll never forget walking in there, walking in there. And it was only to have piano lessons. I wasn't meant to join the choir. Um, and the, the choir master, Andrew Goodwin, asked me to sing a few scales and then promptly asked me to leave the room. And I thought, my goodness me, I must have been rubbish. And he was actually saying to my mum, you know, your son's good enough to go to Canterbury or King's or my mum and dad were like, what? He's not leaving home, no chance. Um, we only came in for piano lessons. And so I joined Bangor and I thought that, you know, that building was one of the biggest cathedrals ever. And it's just a glorified church, really. It's nothing in size compared to some of the ones I, I sing and, and visit now. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it had something about it. That, um, and it's quite embarrassing because again, it, I quite lost things with smells. And there was kind of a smell when I first walked into that cathedral as a nine-year-old. Um, and I thought it was history in the walls or whatever, you know, of, of things that happened there over the years. And it was only about 20 years later, it was explained to me that it was actually color gas. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you know, the magic smell of Bangor Cathedral. <laughs> Go visit. And I should actually um, say in the here and now that um, in the choir stalls in Bangor, there is carved into the wood AJ, and that was not me. Um, the Dean of Bangor has acknowledged that it wasn't me um, and on camera. Um, so I'm not sure who did that, but yeah, um, apparently quite a few Japanese visitors go there and have their photo taken with it. Just taking your opportunity to make this clear on national radio. Exactly. Yeah, it was not me. I wouldn't dare. I was petrified. I was even scared of singing a, a, a bum note. So carving my initials, no chance. Your parents honestly never had a clue before that day that you could sing, or is it just they, they thought I could sing? Normal thing in the Welsh valleys that it was nothing spectacular. Well, yeah, exactly. And and to, to be honest with you, you know, we sang at school, and I always sang for grandparents, even though I didn't really want to. You know, they'd always get me to stand on their kitchen table and bang out a Welsh hymn. Um, but but you know, yeah, I never thought about that sort of music really. Um, you know, and I would not have known what. I know I'd know what a psalm was, but I wouldn't have known what an anthem was or responses or anything like that before I went into Bangor Cathedral, you know, and um, as a little tiny nine-year-old probationer. Um, 
it was amazing. You know, what, what I learned there wasn't just music, it was life. And, and also friendships. Um, and we were, we were such a tight-knit group that going back to what you said about, you know, being embarrassed, that we didn't really care what um, people at school thought, really, um, because we felt that we were really special when we were in that building. Well, it sounds a bit um, serendipitous, like God had a plan for you, to be honest. Well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe. It's been a great plan, if yeah. he has. Uh, and I'm very thankful. You know, it's... Uh, I think... Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy and I appreciate what I do now probably more than I ever have before. And maybe, I don't know if that's to do with COVID or, you know, I don't know, or maybe it's just getting older. Um, but, you know, being able to sing and move people is not something I take lightly at all. I interviewed um, Tim Hughes during the summer um, at a, a music festival, a Christian music festival down here in Cornwall. And, and he said the same thing that, I think that period of reflection and, and of having corporate worship taken away from us has, has enabled us all to reflect on it yeah. being something that we perhaps didn't even realise we needed so much. Yeah, but, but also I think, you know, online has been incredible for all that as well and kept yeah. people almost alive, you know. Um, and a lot of people have maybe turned to church that wouldn't actually have walked into the building. Yeah. Because I speak to a lot of people and they find it quite sort of nerve-wracking walking into these buildings for the first time yeah and and you know it's sometimes the welcome maybe isn't as warm as it should be um you know and uh, I got told off once for whistling in church um, and you know I thought to myself goodness if I'd walked to that church for the first day and whistled with shine Jesus shine as I did and been told how dare I whistle in the house of the Lord would I have gone back next Sunday probably not yeah. um but I think a lot of people have come back or gone to church because they feel they can online when they're in the comfort of their own home and they can maybe you know mute their camera or whatever mm, yeah I mean the, a lot of the research is, is definitely suggesting that that's the case though uh, yeah that's it's a really encouraging um side effect really isn't it of, of the yeah. church being yeah. in some ways to modernize how it communicates with people yeah absolutely I, I don't go into a church now without cameras there yeah <laughs> That's probably been your experience for the last like 20 years though, hasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, but not sort of, you know, this is specifically for the church. Yeah. Some, sometimes the, the churches have better gear than Songs of Praise these days, yeah. uh, you know, for their streaming and wide cams and close-ups and uh, yeah, amazing. <laughs> you must have had the privilege of meeting some incredible people of faith over the years. Have you yeah. got any particular favourites? Um, not favourites, I'd say, but um, yeah, I've, again, you know, I... I'm so thankful that I get to do that on Songs of Praise. Um, people, you know, I, I come away from interviews where recently I spoke to a father and, and mother who lost their daughter. And, you know, it's, I, I come away from those sort of meetings feeling that my faith is enhanced in a way and feel lucky, um, you know, that I, I could spend precious time with remarkable people. And I've always felt that from my first Songs of Praise edited in Bangor Cathedral. You know, I'm, uh, it's a real privilege to do what I do. Um, and that's why I hope that, you know, I do it with a, a kind heart and um, a gentle soul. I think that's what my job is on Songs of Praise. My job is just to listen and to thank God that I'm in that position to do it. But you also do a lot of other stuff as well as... TV presenting, don't you? And um, I know that you were on premiere during lockdown talking about your the blessing, the yeah. 
CD that you released and um, that you were speaking to Esther at the time about um, your the, the, the importance that you place on drawing out the positive from other faiths and other tra- traditions. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about that? Well, I think at the core of every one of them is love, isn't it? And kindness. And I think sometimes we can, I know that sounds really simplistic, but so what? <laughs> it's, um, uh, you, you know, some of the best things in life are simple. Um, as we found out in the last 18 months, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, I'm, I have uh, very close friends who are Muslim uh, and they're just like me, <laughs> you know, um, at their core is love and kindness. And so, yeah, I was very lucky to work with an amazing humanitarian and singer-songwriter called Sam Youssef on my album. And I learned such a lot from him. He's such a, a calm uh, great soul and you know I think I think sometimes we well a lot of the time we we dwell on differences whereas we maybe should uh, concentrate on on what connects us. That's a really good point isn't it because I think some Christians are, are, are some can sometimes be a little bit wary of of those types of projects and, and and people you know perhaps have even asked you in the past but Alid you know obviously as a Christian you have to be distinctive and we have to to know that Jesus is the only way to God and but for you, I'm, I'm guessing that those collaborations are more about, you know, celebrating those differences. Yeah, or, or celebrating what unites us as well. Um, I think, you know, I see differences as a maybe a negative word, whereas yeah. unites us is more positive, really. And I think that um, that's what it's about for me. And also, you know, we might be singing about different things, but again, the heart and soul and the spirituality is the same. So what's going to happen next for Bobby Dean when he comes back at Easter time? What's his next adventure oh, going to I, I, that's Spoiler Dean alert. Uh, what can I tell you that I, I might not spoil it? Um, we find out something very interesting about the fact why he's been homeschooled for the first nine years of his life. And it involves his mum. And um, again, there are four big stories in this book um, over Easter. And um, again, at the core of it is, you know, there will there is the Easter message as well, and um, and of course there's um, bunny rabbit, chocolate, all the things that you would expect, and very bad jokes from the headmaster. Again, uh, he thinks he's much funnier than he is, um, but you know, it's it's a, it's a good mechanism for me to get get rid of some of my worst dad jokes in a book of which there are plenty um but yeah um so yeah, I, I can't really give too much away but it's just it's basically it's the easter term so um, that, um, all that that involves and then the third book will be they're going on a residential up in yorkshire and uh, they find out that the place they're staying is uh, could be haunted maybe not so are these just stories that have been bubbling away in your imagination you know stories you perhaps told your kids at bedtime have they come from any particular place um well, when i say when i say anyway. to my friends now the, you know the plot of uh bobby dean saved christmas and and the the golden egg as well that's coming out um next year next april um some of my friends turn around and say have you been drinking heavily <laughs> <laughs> and i say no i'm in the world of children's literature it's great um because i'm a kid at heart you know i i'm I don't think I've ever sort of grown up properly, really, because um, most of um, the UK still think I'm 13 and a half. I don't know why. Um, so there has always been a child in, in me, really. And uh, 
and and um, unashamedly so I you know I try to make the most of uh, life and uh, try and find fun and everything why not gosh life's too short um so yeah no there's been an opportunity for me to embrace that side uh, of things really I suppose um when I said to my kids that I was writing it you know they're 19 and 16 so they don't really care <laughs> you know um but but it's been it's been really favorably favorably received and there's talk of us making them into uh, kids operas for instance um so yeah it's uh, it's an exciting time really that's a really cool project i like yeah that. and and you know who knew that this would happen really you know um yeah. i'm not, not um, i'm going to go back to writing um i'm probably going to do another blessings book or a kind of a friendship type book uh, in the future as well i really enjoyed putting together the blessings book and nothing gives me greater joy than um I went on Amazon the other day. Um, oh, because someone had said that Bobby Dean was number one in some chart there. So I went and had a look and took a photo because I was really proud. Um, and I suddenly saw that there were kind of something like 500, over 500 five-star reviews for the Blessings book. And a lot of people saying, I can't start the day now without dipping into this book because the words really spur me on for that day. And I thought, that's exactly what I wanted it to do. You know, exactly what why it took... Um, so much time trying to compile them into similar thoughts so you know there's a lot about love around February because of Valentine and all that and and, and you know in March I remember um, it's David who was famous for saying do the little things in life you know the big things will look after themselves we just concentrate on the little things so there's lots of blessings around that sort of thing keeping things simple if you like um, so yeah it, that took forever uh, and ever and ever but again there are blessings in there from all faiths and none do you have a particular routine that you use to start your morning in that respect is there a, a you know do you get up read your bible take a walk pray like what what does your daily devotion no because like? there's never any time um what normally <laughs> my my life revolves around getting my teenagers up and grabbing something quick for breakfast and rushing out the door um you know not so much maybe uh, during lockdown um, I suppose I thought a lot more then and, and and I tend to play music a lot but yeah no I, I these days it's it's kind of gone back to normal where um, I'm never late but um, it's kind of you know last minute really if I can spend a little bit longer in bed I will <laughs> getting older. It is is incredible how quickly life has returned to pre-pandemic busyness levels isn't it? Yeah it is and it, it's still not the same uh, I still wear my mask when I'm indoors and uh, uh, I kind of, it scares me a little bit how uh, no one else seems to be doing that now at the moment because I really don't want this pandemic to come back, um, you know, and, and, but it's equally, it's, it's great seeing um, aspects of normality come back as well. Like, you know, as you say, singing in church and stuff like that, because music is what it's about really. It sounds very much like it is the thing that has anchored your life and your yeah. career and, I can I can feel how important it is to you when you speak. It's really lovely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my it's my comfort blanket, I suppose. Um, it's always been my connection. You know, if I'm I've spoken about this before. Um, I'm not sure if it was with Esther even, but you know, where it can be in the darkness of a theatre, doesn't have to be in a cathedral or or a concert hall, and you know, something might happen during something like make me a channel of your peace, or I don't know. It's just a yeah, it's just in me, I suppose. That's that's it's um, just waiting to come out. Your uh, top hymns book was some time ago now, wasn't it? Was it yeah. 2010 you released yeah. that? The 40 favorite hymns, yeah. 
have they changed at all or are they just evergreens that are never going to change oh i don't know i i see i'm seen as a traditionalist um although i do like more and more of the modern worship songs as well yeah um you know uh well i've even recorded recently in christ alone which i loved which i know people love massively um so yeah yeah, yeah i think I'm never going to do a top 10 again because it's just asking for trouble. Um, you know, I will always love How Great Thou Art. I'll always love Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. Um, but Shine Jesus Shine was in there, wasn't it? It was in there. <laughs> it was in there. The classic. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, we've, I suppose, yeah. At the time, I'm, it was the I'm worship song. I'm to you. I, I was born as a teenager into a Pentecostal church, so like right. I have no Church of England heritage, although I've married into it, so I'm, I'm sort of learned some of the older stuff as well. But yeah, okay, those are the ones I've had to learn the the old hymns because I didn't grow up listening to those. My parents never took me to church. <laughs> so, which is your favourite old hymn? I would. I think I'd say, "Dear Lord and Father." I yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I love that as well. Uh, absolutely love it uh, massively and um, even I'm, I'm, the more and more I sing it these days the more I really love it and I love the, the concept of it the day thou gavest mm. is just stunning as well um, but I think there's room for all of it so um, I, yeah as I say I'm not going to do a top 10 um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I, I, I see myself recording more and more worship songs in the future do you? yeah I, I enjoy them a lot yeah. And, you know, on Songs of Praise, we play them a lot now as well. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice marriage. We, we recently did a series on Premiere Online where we had a music journalist unpack the, um, the reasons behind the top 10, what's currently the top 10 um, songs playing on CCLI on the, on the music licences. And it's amazing, actually, how many of the top, the most popular worship songs are actually reworkings of old hymns anyway. I didn't realise that. Gosh. That quite, wow. a, that quite a lot of worship music is just, you know, I mean, I guess when you listen to it, you, it's, it's probably more prevalent in older songs. But, you you know, I notice it when we have new Christians at church that sometimes we sing words that are from the Psalms or something. And actually out of context, if you have no knowledge of the Bible, they can sound quite strange when you're yeah. singing about the Lamb of God. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's when you realise actually oh, that they are all based on older reworkings of hymns that are based on Psalms, and, and which is quite right because it, that's the history of music, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's great tunes that have lasted the yeah. test of time. They're earworms. So mm -hmm. you hear it once and you know it. You know, that's yeah. why I love carols so much, because even more so with carols. Yeah. Um, they have a, a beautiful simplicity. Something yeah. like Away in a Manger. It's, you know, people say, oh, you like that? It's so childish. And I think, no, it's amazing. You know, it's simple, but goodness me, it's all there. And, and the truth that's in those words resonate for a reason, don't they? Because yeah, exactly. they, they are truth and they do speak to your soul. Yeah. And yeah. There is comfort and hope in them. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, I've always said as well, there are many reasons why people watch Songs of Praise. And for some people, it does remind them of maybe happier, safer times when they were kids belting mm -hmm. these hymns and carols out in school assemblies. Um, and they want to be reminded of that time for others. Songs of Praise is a the ultimate travelogue, if you like, you know, it never rains on Songs of Praise, for goodness sake, you know, uh, or hardly ever. Uh, it's a miracle. Um, <laughs> you know, and so you're seeing the best of our country in, you know, the best climate, I suppose. And, and for others, of course, uh, and many, many people, it's um, a way of 
expressing their faith and um, enhancing their faith by um, listening to the inspirational stories. Yeah. And do you, do you feel a responsibility to, to make sure that, that a programme like that, that has that longevity and, and reputation sort of represents the church and God well? Yeah, absolutely. But it, there's no doubt that it, 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 it will always be the case because um, the team that work on it are incredible, um, you know, and they're so committed to putting out a gem of a programme. You know, um, all the producers, um, you know, really care about what they do. And, and that's why it's such a privilege being on it. You know, it's, um, you know, I'm very lucky that I get to do the, the, the big ones, if you like, like the 60th birthday one and stuff. And, you know, um, you know that when that programme goes out, it's going to be quality, you know, the best sound, the best lighting. And, and yeah, I've been very fortunate to be able to do 21 years on it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that's a scary thought, really. So what does Christmas mean to you as a Christian then? Uh, well, for me as a Christian, uh, Christmas means time with the family, um, really engaging with them. Uh, it's the most magical time of year. I love it so much. Um, I love the music. I love everything it represents. Um, the fact that, you know, people are kinder to one another for some reason. Um, there is that joy in people of course it can be a very very difficult time for many people a very lonely time but I think that you know I can only speak for me really and it's a time where I can close the front door and just be with my family you know um, and celebrate something magical something that that you know well, it's the ultimate story isn't it it's even better than Bobby Dean saves Christmas <laughs> But it hasn't got, but it hasn't got, but it hasn't got a snowman uh, chauffeur, has it? So there we go. <laughs> Alid says, "Story of Jesus's birth is better than Bobby Dean saves Christmas." Yeah, just about. <laughs> but he could have done with a snowman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could have done with yeah a, a, a snowman chauffeur. Yeah, it's uh, no, I, 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 I honestly, I, I absolutely love Christmas. I'm involved in a, a charity concert called The Story of Christmas, and I have been for the last oh. Um, I first did it when I was 19, so a long time ago. Mm. And um, it's like a nine lessons and carols, but with sort of actors, the caliber of Dame Judi Dench. And uh, it's in St. George's Hanover Square in London. And there's a band of the Irish Guards, and usually a cathedral choir, well, every year, a cathedral choir. And I sit there with the choristers because I narrate it. And it's just a warm glow. It's the start of Christmas for me, you know, hearing this music performed so beautifully and there's always a moment where they will do a, a very still carol um unaccompanied usually just the boys voices and it just all the memories just come flooding back and I just feel sort of yeah just this warmth and um joy I suppose and I think that's what Christmas is all about for me that was broadcaster, singer and now children's author Ali Jones speaking to me, Emma Fowle, here on Premier Christian Radio. I really hope you enjoyed that interview, that you learned something new perhaps about the nation's favourite choir boy. Perhaps something that inspired you to enjoy the magic of Christmas a little bit more this year. Or reminded you that, as Ali said, the story of Jesus coming to earth as a tiny baby to rescue us from our sins really is the greatest story ever told even greater than Bobby Dean Saves Christmas. And if you enjoyed the profile, you can download it as a podcast and listen to hundreds more great conversations with well-known Christians about their lives, their faith and their ministry. 
Just search for The Profile wherever you normally get your podcasts from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile.